Hey, we're going to jump into things this evening. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, we're in a series called The Church Jesus Longs For, and especially I, I found it pertinent as we are planting a church to get an apostle's vision into our church. So we're looking at various letters that Paul wrote to different churches in the first century, and we're looking at, almost at like the highlight reel. If we could pick and choose some of Paul's highlights Uh, some of his letters, some of his instruction to these various churches, what would those highlights be? And what would he have to say to a church like ours? So Galatians chapter four is where we are going to be. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine this metaphor for a moment. Imagine what an all-access pass would get you if you happen to have one to a Rolling Stones concert. Rolling Stones are coming to town. They're at the Moda Center. Somebody hooks you up with an all-access pass. What would that mean? It would mean free food. That's the first thing that's on my mind. You'd probably get a great parking spot. Uh, it, it would mean that you get to hang out in the VIP lounge. You'd probably uh, get to meet the band at least, maybe hang out with the band a little bit. You'd be walking to the front of lines, past doors that are locked to everybody else except for you because you have the VIP pass. Basically, it would be a night of enjoyment guaranteed. No question, you're going to have a good time. Now, I I want you to think about, with that kind of metaphor in mind, I want you to think about what an all-access pass to the universe would be like. What if you had an all-access pass to the universe? What, what would that necessarily mean? Well, I think it would mean you'd be able to create stuff. How many of you guys have seen Inception before? Remember the movie Inception? And basically, they're in these dream worlds where basically they think it and it exists. That's all-access pass to the universe. You'd be able to wipe things out with a thought. You'd be able to move different things around. In a word, you would have power. Now, what I want to do is I want to propose to you this evening that Jesus Christ had an all-access pass to the universe that he gave up when he became a man. Jesus, when he came, he laid down the ability to live like a God on earth, and instead, he took on the difficulties, the temptations, the strain, the stress of a life of a human. What does this mean? Well, what it means is that Theologically speaking, Jesus isn't walking around doing all sorts of miracles and signs and wonders because he is God. He's walking around doing all these miracles because he's a man walking in perfect union with the Spirit of God. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, okay, a weird way to start a message. Why would you start out this way? What does this matter? Why would he even do this? I think for a couple of reasons. The first thing is that I believe Jesus came and he became a man because he's giving us a whole new way to live that's not unattainable. You can live like Jesus. One of Jesus' primary messages was this, come to me and I will give you life. So sometimes we get this narrative in our minds that Jesus is like, come to me and I will shape your behavior. That probably will happen, but primarily his message to you is come to me and I'll give you life. So you've been looking for life all over the place, but I have it right here. He's showing us what normal life is supposed to look like for people who are sons and daughters of God. Now, secondly, I think the reason why Jesus came this way is that Jesus came, died, and rose from the dead for this specific reason, to incorporate us into Christ, for incorporation. Now, if you are not new at Saints Hill, you know that we talk 
a ton about this. You're getting it burned in your mind that there is significance in being someone who is, quote unquote, in Christ. It was the language that Paul used for those who are, quote unquote, saved. Um, I believe that Jesus came to incorporate us into himself. Uh, look down at your Bibles. This passage just beautifully illustrates this. In Galatians 4, verse 4, it says this. But when the set time had fully come, now pause for a moment, look up real fast. Here's what, he's being, what is being said from the very get-go, is that God's plan all along was that Jesus would come, crush the head of the serpent, and he would incorporate lost sons and daughters into him. And there was a set time. There was a plan, a purpose. Verse four says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Okay, interesting. Now, notice that word adoption, hang on to it. Verse six, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, this uh, Hebrew way of expressing a close relationship with a father. Verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I want you to pay attention to that word heir. Now, if you were to just read this passage there's, there are so many different directions that you could go with this, so many different things that God could bring out and teach your heart with. Um, Paul is saying you've been purchased by God, you've been redeemed. So some of you lived under the law, you were either uh, enslaved to trying to behave correctly or you were enslaved to the sin that the law produced, like Paul talks about in Romans. And Jesus was born under, into that same system, that same rat race so that he could redeem and purchase people out of that rat race. He's saying you're adopted to sonship. Now, pause for a moment. You go, hang on a second, sonship? Why not daughtership? I'm, I'm a lady. Uh, what, what, where, do I fit in this? Well, what he's saying is this. In the first century, all of the rights, all of the inheritance, all, all of the, the wealth that the family had was designated to the first son. So what is he saying? To anybody who gets incorporated into Christ, you get the same position as a first son in the family of God. That's what is being said right here. Um, he says this, you have the same spirit of his son. So that spirit that Jesus carried around with him that enabled him to do all of those different things, commune with God like, like a friend face to face, yet you have that same spirit in you and it knows its father. So if you ever get confused about who your father is, that Holy Spirit in you will cry out, no, I know who my father is, it's Abba, it's father. And, and then he says this, You've, he, God has also made you an heir, what I mainly want to hone in on tonight uh, for Saints Hill Church is this. If God has made you a child, then he has, and he has also made you an heir, the church that Jesus longs for takes hold of their inheritance. The church Jesus longs for takes hold of their inheritance. Uh, the idea of inheritance, depending on what side of, I suppose, the political spectrum you come uh, from, it could either be a very beautiful one or one that is filled with some tension in your heart. Uh, the idea of an inheritance is this. You get in a moment for free what took someone 80 years to build. An inheritance is you get something in a moment for free that took somebody else 80 years to build. 
It elevates your status. It puts more ability and mobility at your fingertips. It causes you to worry less about financial strain. But we have like a cultural issue with inheritance. Uh, Many people are concerned with nepotism and with concentrated wealth. If we just allow people to just give money away to their children or homes away to their children, then it's like the game is rigged. I heard it described one way. It's, it's almost as if you enter Monopoly, uh, after, a game of Monopoly, after they've been playing for two hours and all the properties are bought, all of the utilities are owned, and the safest place for you is in jail. And our, our culture's worried about this. They're like, that's what it's like. It's like there's one pie and... People disagree about that, but we're worried about inheritance, right? In fact, I was just listening to NPR the other night in the car, and this kid, there's a psychologist who was talking about wealth and people giving inheritance to their kids. And this kid calls in, he's like, I just have to say, wealth made my parents idiots. And he's like, my grandparents just passed away. They gave my parents like $4 million, and all my parents do now is they, they plan their two vacations a year, they eat out at least once a week, and they buy new cars. They're total snobs. <laughs> and I'm like thinking, or maybe they're finally done paying for you so they have some freed up assets, all right? Um, now, in this passage, the inheritance that is spoken of is something that is extremely significant. And it comes from some extremely significant things that Christ has done for us. Uh, the, The first is this. The first striking reality is that you have been made God's child. It's the first, it's the prerequisite to an inheritance. Inheritance runs along family lines. We often say when you leave the concept of family, you have left the concept of the kingdom. The kingdom is all about family, and because we have been brought into God's family, we now get the benefits that come with that, an inheritance. Now, um, some may say, well, hang on a second. Aren't we all God's children? Like, isn't everybody alive today God's child? Doesn't he love everybody equally? Um, And and in a sense, I, I would say, yes, that's true. God loves and cares for all of creation. That's why good things happen to everybody. Um, The scriptures put it in this language, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, and that rain in the context is a good thing. (laughs) Um, But there is a position in God's family that is reserved for those who are fully in Christ and fully surrendered. If, If we were already God's children, then it would have been cruel to make Jesus go to the cross. Jesus' primary pursuit was to make lost sons and daughters reunited into the family of God with a full inheritance, and it cost him a lot to do that. That's what Jim was talking about when we were taking communion earlier. Many understand this, I think, in theory or in a spiritual way or or whatever, that they are God's children, but I don't know if you've noticed this. For many, it doesn't really change their life very much. They're like, yeah, I'm I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. You know, we sing the song. Uh, But I don't know how deep it has actually touched most of us. And, And I think that part of it is that we've never really paused to consider or desire the implications of being one of his kids enough. I have some friends of mine who are just rock star foster parents. Is anybody in the house a foster parent tonight or anybody know foster parents? Um, 
just like they, just people who have just given so much, taking care of kids who they didn't create, uh, who often come with incredible amounts of baggage, who have a lot of different issues. And, and I don't know if you've ever heard these sorts of stories, but um, I, I've heard that some of their foster kids will actually at the dinner table, especially when they first came to the home, they would hide the food. They would take the food off their plate and they would hide it away and go and take it up to their room and, and keep it. Or, or every now and then they would catch them like taking snacks out of the cupboard and then they would find like snack boxes underneath their bed in their room. The reality is that the family that that child came from had a different inheritance that made every day of life a battle for survival. And so that child is living with this carried culture in them that has taught them that they actually have to scratch and scrape and try to provide for themselves. But, but in my friend's home, they, they, they're teaching them a new inheritance that they no longer need to look out for themselves because they have parents who will do it for them. See, anytime you enter a family, there's a new way of life to be learned, Right? And just like those foster kids, they're actually learning a new way of life. We actually have that same new way of life that we learn when we come into God's family, where you may have once uh, said negative things about the people around you, or even in some ways delighted when bad things happen to them. In God's family, there's a new culture, and it's this, you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. Uh, where you may be at one point when you were outside of Christ uh, been jealous of the people around you and just thought, oh, they always get stuff. They never have to work for anything and it's just given to them. What the heck? In, in God's family, there's a new belief, a new culture that says this, there's enough blessing to go around. Maybe it, it, at one point in your life, you lived with this unspoken bitterness that kind of existed in all of your relationships because you kept a tally of all the things that people had done wrong to you, of all the things that they owed you. But in the family of God, actually, he's shown compassion. It says, while we are still sinners, in other words, while we still had a debt against God, he said, that looks like somebody that I'd like to die for, and he brings about forgiveness supernaturally. All of these things start to get worked out by the Father teaching you how things work when you carry his last name. When you come into his family, there's a new culture, right? Uh, a book that I've been recently reading uh, called Abba's Child by Brennan Manning, he, he says this in the book. He says, our God, it seems, is one who benevolently gives turkeys and capriciously takes them away. When he gives us them, we feel close to God and spurred to generosity. But when he takes them away, it signals his displeasure and rejection. We feel cast off by God. He is unpredictable and fickle. Blaise Pascal once wrote, God made man in his image, and man returned the favor. <laughs> this is why understanding God's character based on the scriptures is so important, and it's why our very first value as a church is that God is good. Because his character will be the shape of the inheritance that you believe you're receiving. His character will be the shape of the family you believe that you're actually living in. 
Becoming a child is recognizing his generosity and specifically in your life, letting your mind and habits be changed by this new family order. So the first truth from this is that you've been made a child. Now secondly, since you're his child, God has also made you an heir. Now pause for a moment. I want you just to imagine this. Imagine that you lived in a family where you never really knew your extended family. You were very close with your parents, very close with your siblings, but anybody else in your family, you just didn't really know them. They lived in Michigan, and when your parents were faced with the decision about vacation, California tended to win out against Michigan. Go figure, right? So you just never really saw them. You didn't really know them. Now, it turns out that your Aunt Rose just passed away, and she happened to like you. She met you when you were three. You don't really remember it, but she liked you. And she left you half of her $10 million estate just in a moment downloaded into your bank. You're like, I didn't even know she died, and now I have $5 million in my bank account. That's amazing. Why would that happen to someone? Why, why would that happen to you? Well, basically, you carried the correct last name. You carried the correct last name, and it benefited you in a moment. Now, um, how many of you guys understand that you, your last name that you carry right now actually also carries an identity, a history, and ultimately an inheritance. Sometimes we think of inheritance as being something that you get after your parents die or after somebody in your family passes away, but in reality, you begin inheriting the character and material of your family the instant you are born. Your last name means something. Imagine that you're uh, walking down the street one day, you bump into an old friend, and he has another friend with him. And you, he introduced, he's like, oh, this is my, uh, my buddy, Jared Hitler. And uh, yeah, we've been friends for a while, just met. Uh, I was studying abroad in Germany, and, uh, and he decided to come and visit me. You'd be like, whoa, okay, any relation? Like, what? Your last name kind of means something. I don't know if you maybe want to change that up a little bit. Um, or, or imagine this. Imagine that you grew up in a home where uh, your father, when he was upset, he solved issues through violence. Your real-time inheritance is likely a propensity to take that model, that example, and to incorporate it into your life. So think about what's being said here in Galatians chapter 4. If you are God's son or daughter, you are receiving an inheritance today. Not just sometime in the future, although it is that, and we'll get to that, but today. In fact, Romans talks about this in chapter 8, verse 7. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Real-time language. Hebrews 1, verse 2 says this, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of what? All things. Let's just pause for a second and say that together. Whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So if you're taking notes, you should write this down. The quality of our inheritance is glory. The quantity is all things. The quality of our inheritance is glory. The... It was up there for a second. The, the quantity is all things. So think about this. If we are incorporated into the same family of Jesus, does it mean that we're getting the same treatment as Jesus? Yes, we have a fair father. Okay, 
So do we get the same inheritance as Jesus? Yes, that's what the scriptures are saying. Now, what exactly does this inheritance mean? Because uh, all things, I don't know about you, it's a tad ambiguous. It's like, that sounds nice, not sure practically what that means in my life. Well, in a word, what we're inheriting is heaven. We're inheriting heaven. Our inheritance is heaven that lasts. How many of you guys understand that if Jesus came just to get you into heaven, your life today could still be a living hell, right? In fact, for many people, their life is a living hell, and their only hope out of the living hell is that someday I'm going to get out of this world, right? The reason why I take a little bit of issue with this is that I actually believe that God is too good for that to be the case. His desire is to bless you with heaven now that continues on into eternity. When Jesus came, he brought heaven to earth, and over time, more and more people were incorporated into the family of God, and heaven began to spread. It's sort of like this. It's sort of like color being dropped into a glass of water. At first, the color is concentrated, and then eventually it begins to spread, and the color begins to color the entire glass of water. I actually believe that's what happened when Jesus came. He was the first drop of color into a black and white world. And as people began to be incorporated into his inheritance, they began to live in heaven even while they existed on earth. And it spread and it spread and it spread. Now, I I know that it is, but I don't think it should be uh, contentious that Christianity has largely made the world a better place to exist. Freedom for slaves hospitals and our understanding of healthcare, equal rights for women, the very concept of human dignity and worth, the value for free will and choice and human volition, an economy where you get to own your own labor and trade your labor rather than it being owned by some lord, all came from values that were directly out of this text right here, all from Christianity. Sometimes we have to pause and think, you know, in a globalized world where uh, we have media outlets that are everywhere, you're like, the world is falling apart constantly because you have access to every single little thing and detail that's happening all over the world. But it's good to pause and to actually, my wife and I, (laughs) I don't know if I should share this. Uh, Sometimes we watch old, well, we watch a lot of old films, old movies, old uh, TV shows, and I'm like, anytime something horrible is happening to somebody, I'm like, there's never been a worse time to be alive than today. Because <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, that's the narrative that everybody wants you to essentially believe. But we have to pause and actually consider sometimes how much better our world is today than it was a thousand years ago. It's insanely better, I promise you that. See, the inheritance is a people informed by another world by heaven living in this one to make it look more like heaven. That's why when you, when you look around it, I, I think hospitals are just such a great example. You look at hospitals, what are they named after? Christians. Why? Because they, God was speaking secrets to them. God was speaking rumors of another world where sickness could be done away with, and they're like, let's do something about it. Let's care for those people who are sick. In fact, in uh, Rodney Stark's book, uh, The Rise of Christianity, he records essentially in the first uh, 200 years of Christianity, how did it explode? And one of the primary things that he points to is this. He says, when everybody got sick in a city or a plague hit a city, uh, and all of the pagans ran away from that city, and all the rich went to their summer homes and other places, the Christians went into the city to care for the sick. 
It's one of the primary reasons why it spread. Tacitus, in one of his letters, he writes, look how they loved one another. Look how they loved one another. Where was I? That wasn't in here. Let's see here. Close your eyes for a moment, and I, and I don't only want to use financial examples, but Paul was the one to bring it up first, so I'm just going to go with the financial metaphor of inheritance. I want you to imagine what you would do. Just, like, go there. Just indulge. I know you don't do this because in our culture, like, wealth is somehow bad or something like that, but I want you to just go there in your mind. I want you to imagine what you would do this evening if you found out you inherited $30 million dollars. You never have to work again. Just what is your first thing to do? Maybe you'd buy a home. You're like, finally, we're building that home. Uh, maybe you'd buy a home for your family or your friends. You'd be like, you get a home, and you get a home, and you get a home, and just giving them away. Uh, you'd probably have people over and be like, hey, you know what? I got 100K lying around. I'm just going to give that to you. Have fun with it. You would go crazy, right? Maybe you'd get some cool stuff. I know my wife, she'd get like a jet ski. It would just be phenomenal. Um, <laughs> You probably quit working for life. You're like, I'm never working another day in my life. I'm just volunteering. I'm going to serve somewhere. I'm going to do something I've always dreamed of doing. The, the point is this, guys. It would change your lifestyle. It would ch- radically change your lifestyle. But what happens frequently is that people start following Jesus, but their lifestyle doesn't change. So what I'm after this evening is adjusting your belief about what you inherit from Christ so much so that it completely changes your lifestyle. So two truths because of this inheritance of all things, two truths that, that, the, that all things mean. The first is this, your identity is that you have access to heaven wherever you go. Our inheritance is directly linked to the kingdom like I mentioned earlier because the kingdom is an, uh, the way that we experience heaven here and now. So if we're inheriting heaven, if we're inheriting glory, then we're inheriting the kingdom here and now. In fact, Jesus went around proclaiming the kingdom over situations where heaven came. Matthew 12 says this, but if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is going around, he's driving out demons. He's like, that's the kingdom right there. If you want to put language around it, tell the story. And he says this in Matthew uh, 9, another instance. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. In fact, when Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, a kingdom proclamation is not complete without a kingdom demonstration. And so he actually sends his disciples to demonstrate the kingdom and to describe it. And some uh, theologians have called this show and tell. He's He's showing it and then he's telling about it, right? So get this. If that was his inheritance, Jesus is like, my inheritance is heaven, I'm going to unleash it everywhere, and I'm calling it the kingdom of God, then it's our inheritance as well. So pause for a moment. We get to see through our lives healing, getting rid of the demonic. In fact, I'd love to share just a quick story. Uh, Last week, there was a young gal who had contacted somebody in our church who has been having just incredible uh, demonic encounters. Um, she had three specific, I, I got to meet with her last week, she had three specific voices that had been speaking to her. Two were female, one was male, incredibly specific. And she could trace them back to um, some occult things that she had been involved in. And she basically said, all these voices do is they just hit me with this incredible sense of fear, I get locked up, I can't talk, and they just speak, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, nothing is gonna come out of your life, just give up, just die. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, isn't it so amazing how textbook the enemy is? Because that's everything that, he, that Jesus told us that he would say here in the text. That's everything that the enemy's been doing since Genesis chapter 3, just speaking lies. He's called the slanderer. That's what Satan means in Hebrew. He's the slanderer. And so in that moment, I'm like, my inheritance is to get rid of the demonic. So you three voices, you're out right now. And voice of the Holy Spirit, come now, speak life, speak truth over this daughter. She began to cry and weep as these voices got leached out of her, and she began to believe the truth. In fact, she, she had a, a specific th- word, a specific thing that the Holy Spirit spoke over her, and I said, every time that voice tries to come back, you combat it with truth. Why? Your inheritance is heaven. Uh, okay. <laughs> Yay, God. Uh, We have the ability to access heaven over different situations. And also, the scriptures tell us that there's an internal heaven that we get to live in. It's part of our inheritance. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if the kingdom has come upon you, if you have the kingdom in you, like the scriptures say, if you're in Christ, guess what? You have righteousness, peace, and joy in you because you carry the Holy Spirit. So um, you actually have an internal reality of righteousness, peace, and joy that is also accessible at your fingertips. Your inheritance is to live naturally, supernatural, regularly doing the things that Jesus did. Your inheritance is to live naturally, supernatural, regularly doing the things that Jesus did. They're to become normal. Not because you try really hard, you're like, I'm going to be the best Christian in the world and try really hard. No, the scriptures clearly teach that the kingdom coming through you is not based on your character, but based on your surrender. So it's not trying really hard. It's, it's, I'm so, I've soaked up the kingdom. I've been given this inheritance. When I got incorporated into Christ, it leaks out of me wherever I go. I'm looking for it to leak out of me. So that's the first truth, is that you have access to heaven wherever you go. Second truth is this. Your inheritance means reigning with unlimited resources. Your inheritance means reigning with unlimited resources. Genesis is clear that God's intention was to create humans to co-reign with him to co-reign with him, to care for animals, to care for plants, to take the raw materials of the garden and to produce culture and to build something, to do priestly stuff here on earth. That's what his longing was for. And the plan, even when that got messed up, the plan all along was to return you to that position through giving you an inheritance through Jesus. God is like the best business partner Ever. You got the company credit card and there's no credit limit. Just spend away. That's essentially his strategy. You now live with unlimited resources of heaven. Now, uh, imagine for a second, I want to illustrate this. Imagine that you have $500 in your bank account and you get into a car accident that is going to cost you $3,000. College kids, you ever been there? You're like, this is just game over. There's no car. I don't have a car anymore. Lexi, I see you. Um, And you're just like, what am I going to do? I got 500 bucks here, but I've been saving that for something else, and now I got this $3,000 bill. I'm done. Now, how would you feel if you got in the same accident, and it cost the same amount of money, but you had $500 million in the bank? It's no big deal. Just get a new car, (laughs) right? What I'm saying is this. Big people have big problems, The size of the problem it takes to phase you is directly related to what you believe about your resources. That's challenging. 
Big people have big problems. Say that line again. <laughs> I got you, Emily. Uh, the size of the problem it takes to phase you is directly related to what you believe you have in your resources. Big people have big problems, and when God's whole plan was to make you into a big person, <laughs> to give you the same inheritance that Christ had, so that it wouldn't take a, 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 any problem that you came across, you're like, I have an answer for that because I have a father who has unlimited resources. The company credit card's right here. There you go. Now, this takes incredible amounts of faith. In fact, my wife and I have walked through so many different, <laughs> I've shared stories about it, but so many different things, uh, financially, relationally, where you just go, oh my gosh, how can anything good come out of this situation? And we begin to stress and worry, and we look at each other, and we go, what are we gonna do? Like, what are we gonna do? I can't say how many times we've sat across the table. What are we gonna do? I don't know what we're gonna do. And we're like, if worse comes to worse, we're moving back with my in-laws. I mean, that's just, that's the, <laughs> we're like, what are we gonna do? Well, we have family in the area. But what I'm saying is this, is that Christ gave you an inheritance so that you're in, when the, the trial comes, when the temptation comes, you instantly go in your mind, oh, I've got a father with unlimited resources who is good, who pours himself out whenever I need it's challenging. Jesus says this, ask and you, and you will receive. It's don't argue with me, argue with him. The scriptures are replete with examples of people who saw their resources in such a way it inspired courage. I love the story of Elisha who has a servant with him at one point and there's an army coming to attack them and there's just no escape. It's just done deal, they're gonna die and the servant is terrified and Elisha's just standing there calmly. Why? He says, Father, open his eyes to see what I see. And the servant's eyes are opened, and he sees chariots and horses and angels who have surrounded them, and he knows the battle will be won, and instantly he's put at peace. The, the only storm that you have authority in is the storm you can sleep in. It's the enemy's plan and desire to cause circumstances, issues to rise up in your life that make you resort more to stress. Anytime you go to stress, here's what happen, happens. You speed up and you try to solve the problem out of your own strength. Anytime you, you, an issue comes and you go, I have a father, I have faith who actually can come and do something about this situation, you know what you just did? You slowed down. You slowed down. I can't tell you how many decisions we have made in our marriage in a place out of uh, hurry that we regretted. It's God's intent that you would have peace in the storm so that you would be listening to his voice, not your own. So what does this mean? What this means is that I believe no weapon formed against me will prosper. I believe I will not be affected by the demonic. I know that he's been disarmed and defeated. My portion in life is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I have that spirit. I'm looking for that fruit. Now, uh, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, I've never really thought much about inheritance before. Um, you know, many don't think much about inheritance, and I think for a couple different reasons. One, it feels a little bit prideful. It's like co-heirs? Oh, I don't know. He must have meant that for, like, other people who... Is there some kind of ranking system that when you achieve that rank, you get the co-heir thing thrown in? Um, I don't know if I really want to consider myself like a co-heir. I may be like a, a portion error or something like that. Um, so we don't really think much about it because it's like... Who just sits around thinking about how awesome God, like, made them, you know? Um, and then secondly, uh, I think that we, it feels a little bit untrue. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, look, bro, 
Uh, I'm looking at my life right now. I don't feel like much of an error. <laughs> I don't feel like much is, uh, has really been given to me. And uh, if you knew my story, you would not be preaching this right now. Um, the reality is this. There, there is a truth in the kingdom where God will speak truths over you, but it is also in your, it's in your responsibility to take hold of those truths. This is a truth that takes effort to access it. You will not access the inheritance uh, at any point in time if you don't believe that it's for you. <laughs> if you're sitting here and you're listening to me talk about this and you're like, yeah, but that's not for me, well, then you probably won't have it, you're right. So to end, how do you take hold of the inheritance you've been given? Uh, the first is this, the key to inheritance is surrender. The key to inheritance is surrender. There isn't an inheritance without a shared yoke. It's co-heirs. It's co-heirs. I, I just have something stirring in me all week, and I don't have any notes on it, so let's see how this goes. I just believe that what God is stirring in my heart and in our heart as a church is having a surrendered lifestyle, a sold-out lifestyle, where we have one pursuit. Um, I'm just going to be super honest with you. There are many different pursuits in my life. Uh, one specifically has been I really wanted to buy a home, I really wanted to have a nice home, and I really care about aesthetics. And that can, for me, become an entire pursuit in itself. So there were some weeks over the past couple months where I get to the end of the week and I'm like, the amount of hours I spent on the home versus the amount of hours I spent with you, just not even comparable. And what God has been doing, and he's so gentle and so good, he's just been drawing me in. He's like, he's, you know, guys, don't you know it's his kindness that leads us to repentance? It's his kindness that leads us to change our minds. And just, I'll have these moments in worship, I'll have these moments throughout the week where he's just slowly going, one pursuit lifestyle. <laughs> one pursuit lifestyle. What other pursuits do you have? I believe he's stirring something in us to be a church of one pursuit. Those people at Saints Hill, they're sold out for one thing. I would actually... <laughs> I've said this a couple different times. I would honestly be as bold to say that if you, if you want other pursuits, Jesus isn't for you. He's, he demands one pursuit. He demands one pursuit. The concept that I keep coming back to is, is having this one project that I have in my life, and it's him. One project that I have in my life, and it's his kingdom. Having the singularity of focus in your life is a beautiful thing. Uh, a metaphor that jo uh, Pastor John Tyson gave me a few years ago was that of a project. In many ways, we view our lives like projects that we're going to present before some kind of class, some kind of social class that we're in. Um, except the project is really a project of image projection. And so we, we try to do these things in our life because we think, what would this look like to people around me? And so I, I want a family that looks this way. I want a home that looks this way. I want wealth. Uh, but, but I don't want to be too snobby. I just want to be down to earth, so I'll drive a Subaru. Um, I, I want uh, beauty in, in my life. I want, you know, incredible art around me, but, but nothing too ostentatious because I live in Oregon. And, um, and I want adventure. I want romance. Um, and... The, the class has become, this class that you're going to present this project before is now a list of followers who, for the most part, we know very little about. And yet we spend money and time and relational energy in order to impress people that we don't even know. It's like building this project. I asked myself this last week, like, how much less money would I spend? How much less stress would I have in my life if I truly didn't care what people thought about me? I'm like... Wow, I would be in an entirely different existence if that was the case. Ask yourself that question sometimes. Here's what John Tyson says. 
He says, something below the surface of a public, private, and personal call. We long to put our roots into something deep and profound, something mysterious, something that calls us out of the small story of Project Self into the masterpiece of redemption in the kingdom of God. Instead of having a Project Self in the background, what if we had one project, one pursuit, and it was co-laboring with our Father on his kingdom because of the inheritance that we've received. I want that so badly, and honestly, I find that trivial luxuries pull my heart away constantly. But I want to just confess with my mouth. Confess with your mouth. There's power in saying things out loud. I would rather have a life of fire than a life of cold cushions. The truth is that fire always falls on sacrifice. Paul knew this. This is why his call to Timothy is this. Join me in suffering like a good servant of the faith. (laughs) <laughs> what a, can you imagine that? It's like, hey, we want you to volunteer here at Saints Hill. Here's our call. Join us in suffering. It's just going to be amazing. You're going to just come to life. Um, when you aim at your personal project, you will find yourself frantically pushing and searching and saving and spending for meaning and love. But you aim for his project. What is the most important takes precedence over everything else in your life. And it becomes the blade that trims the fat of our lives and makes us even more like Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, our great honor lies in being just what Jesus was and is. To be accepted by those who accepted him, rejected by all who reject him, loved by those who loved him, hated by those who hate him. What greater glory could come to any man? This is the attitude that accesses inheritance. Secondly, is this. The second key to accessing inheritance is this. It makes no difference if you don't open the fridge. Here's what I mean. (laughs) Like, what? Imagine for a second that your roommate goes to the grocery store, or your your, uh, spouse goes to the grocery store, your parents go to the grocery store, and they bring back with them a jug of orange juice, and they put it in the the refrigerator. And and you, you watch all of this happen. It goes in the refrigerator, and you're sitting on the couch, and you just think, gosh, what I wouldn't do for a glass of orange juice right now. Oh, wouldn't it be great if I had some orange juice? And your roommate's like, uh, I just bought orange juice. It's in the fridge. Your spouse is like, uh, just, honey, I, I went to the store. It's in the fridge. Just go get it. You're like, oh, but what I wouldn't do for a glass of orange juice right now. I just, oh, I could use some orange juice. It's like, I'm parched. I've been working all day. And I'm like, I need some orange juice. <laughs> this is a dumb analogy. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying here. Uh, Many people do not live in power or peace because in the split second that they have to decide what to do when temptation or trial comes, they decide not to reach for what has been made available to them and follow the easier path. It's like the orange juice is in the fridge. He made a purchase for you. Do you believe the text? Do you believe the scriptures? (laughs) He's made a purchase. It's right there. Are you reaching for it when you need it? Now, I've been on both sides of this. Um, I, I, I haven't really shared much of this here, but I, I certainly shared this at Bridgetown. For, for a number of years, I really struggled pretty profoundly with pornography. Um, I, I had grown up in the internet age, as many of you had, where it was just incredibly accessible. I remember being 10 years old, walking across a construction site and finding basically a, a piece of a porn magazine that had been just lying on the ground some construction worker had dropped or something like that. And just, I was ignited. I was like, what is this? Uh, it was the age of Google. You could search for anything and uh, just in a moment have it. And um, like many men in the church, uh, I, as I came to Christ, I was at a loss for how to get out. How do I stop? 
how do I get this out of my life? God, you say that I'm righteous. You say that I'm pure. That's my inheritance. But man, it really doesn't feel like it. I started going to this uh, group called 423 Men. Uh, we're actually looking to start a group of 423 Men here at Saints Hill. But it's just essentially a group of men that get together once a week in order to spur one another on to righteous living. And the way there's no condemnation or shame or anything like that. In fact, you can't give feedback in the group. It's one of the rules. But basically, you get together, you share how your week was, and you say, you're forgiven. You know that? You're forgiven. Now walk in the truth. You're forgiven. Now walk in the truth. Incredible life change came out of my life through that group. But I, I want to say that that one of the most important things that happened in my life for me to actually get rid of this addiction was taking hold of my inheritance in Christ. Taking hold of my inheritance in Christ. I remember that um, as I was going through this struggle, I'd be in a tempting position, and the inner battle was just constantly being lost. I'm just like, oh, I know what's right. I know, I, uh. Until I understood the concept of the family of God and my inheritance. Now, it's not a silver bullet, but it is the way that we fight with truth. So here's what I began to do. When the temptation would come, when the issue would arise, I would, remember, I would recite the scripture over myself. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Either he set me free or he didn't. Either I'm free or I'm not. I believe I'm free. And so if I'm free, what I, what I started to do is this. I started to say this. God, I want to thank you for my freedom. Thank you that I'm free from this. Thank you that I don't have to look at that. Thank you that I don't have to do this. Thank you for the freedom that you've purchased for me. It's amazing what happens with gratitude. It is, oh, we're just going to do a whole gratitude series someday. It is incredible what gratitude can do. All of a sudden, I'm going, okay, I got a little bit of distance from this. I am, to the sunsets free is free indeed. Thank you for this freedom. I remember then in that moment, okay, I got to get rid of the, I got to flee the compromising situation. I got to, I got to get away from it. And then I got free. And I began to practice this. Oh, not, it wasn't perfect every time, but, but over and over and over and over and over. And you know what I began to do? I began to train the channels in my mind. I began to take that neuroplasticity and lead my mind to the truth, which was what my, I had inherited. Have you done that? There's men and women in this room who are struggling with pornography today. And I want to tell you, there is freedom by taking hold and believing what Christ has done for you. By saying, in this moment, my strongest desire may be one thing, but my deepest desire is this, and my deepest desire has been forged in the fire of resurrection. And so I'm going to step into that, and I'm going to walk in that freedom. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Do you believe that? My inheritance is freedom from the need to sin. That's why in 1 John he says, if any of you sin, not when you sin, if you sin. Why? Because the inheritance that was purchased was the ability to live free from sin. Do you believe that? Some of you do. Oh, now to end. I gotta wrap this up. Sorry, guys. Um, Jesus is returning us to our original inheritance. Genesis 1.26 says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule. It was his intent from the beginning that you would rule and reign with him on the earth. It's the ploy of the enemy to constantly question your inheritance, to question your membership to the family of God, and to question your freedom. And it's gonna stop tonight. So here's what we're gonna do this evening. Um, I think we have kind of a twofold job as far as we uh, respond in prayer. So if you're on the prayer uh, team, if you wouldn't mind just making your way over to this corner. Uh, if you've been to St. Hill before, you know that we take ministry time incredibly serious. We believe, it's the, we're the only religion that believes this, in a moment, everything can change. In a moment, 
everything can change. Every other religion sets up a plan. Every other religion sets up a ladder. But in this one, in a moment, everything can change because of what Jesus did in the grave and in the resurrection.